Welcome back to this week's edition of the Omni Talk Fast Five. Hard to believe, but it is May 1st. As Justin Timberlake used to say, it's gonna be May. All right, joining me as always is Anne shaking her head already. How you doing? Unreal. We are not even like two minutes into this podcast and you've already embarrassed yourself. But it's that's be May. That's yeah. so good. No, I'm, that's it's, enough. It's so good. Carter Jensen, yeah. two doors down from Anne, two or three doors down from Anne. Like, just like as cool band. as your just as cool as your virtual backgrounds. I think we all have a going bet of how many backgrounds you're going to try to cycle through because we all know that you've been prepping for this moment all week and your desktop is full of very contextual uh, backgrounds you'll throw up there uh, throughout the podcast. So if you're not listening, if you're listening and not watching the video, you're not missing much. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, right. Go to our video. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll see. I don't know. It's been quite a, quite a month, which we'll probably talk about. So I don't know how many of those I'll have today, but Emma from Jersey. What's going on? What's up? <laughs> Not much. Same as last week. <laughs> Emma's got a Emma's tilted the camera. She's got a new view of, of, of the of the of the of the of the room. How's that working for you? I like it. I look a little bit less ghostly on the camera, so <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Well it's good to have you as always. Emma's Man. done with school this week. She's got a big announcement. Yeah, you're finished, right? Yeah, I have to take a online final, but other than that, I am done with undergraduate school. Should we have a graduation party for Emma maybe next yeah. week? Like maybe sure. we'll, like, we'll like send that. you a cap and gown. All yes. right, I'm not going to spoil anything more, but I think that's a good idea. Virtual backgrounds. I actually have the cap because I have the same high school colors as college, and I was going to wear it next week and then put my background as like the university and take yes. my official graduation photos. I love Perfect. it. That I love it, great. Emma. We're in. I think that sounds amazing. So Emma, the intern is soon to be Emma, the graduate, although for all forever, the intern for us. All right. So, and man, guys, what, I can't believe it's May. Like what a month, like this month has been just peppered with so much stuff. Like quick, quick, two minutes, three minutes. What's your reflections on this month for you as individuals? And let's start with you. Oh, it was probably goes down as one of the hardest months in history. And I would say, the fact that it's already May is on the minds of many people, including people who own businesses that are trying to figure out how to pay rent today. So yeah, it's a, it's a struggle, but I have to say that I have had one of the most fantastic home deliveries, curbside delivery of a cranberry orange scone from Mrs. Omnitalk. So now my month is starting off the right way. You got Uh, that today. She brought that over today. Oh, Yes, she did. She's a wonderful human being who, uh, yes, wanted me to have a lovely scone to have during the podcast with my coffee. And wow, May is looking up for right for me right now. So Mrs. Omnitalk makes amazing scones. I hope she knows that and hears that on national podcasts and videos uh, about retail. So what what about you, Carter? What's the what's what's the big learning or lesson? I mean, End of the day, we're so lucky. It's been so much fun to be able to jump on Zoom every week and get to talk to you guys and hear all the stuff that Omnitalk's putting out. I think that's the the net net. You know, it's been this kind of mix of emotions, especially from like the retail standpoint. Over the last four weeks, I mean, from the podcast standpoint and all the videos we've been doing, it's like so easy to be critical. And I think we've all like looked at every experience we've had, whether it's with restaurants or stores or whatever. And I think we we tend to pick it apart. That's our job and that's what we do. But then, you know, on the flip side, we also feel for everyone, right? Like we know that, you know, a lot of people are doing their best 
best and working with what they have. And I think that's just been the name of the game for the last four weeks. And so, yeah, we can sit in these seats and be really critical. And like I said, we will continue to be because I think that's what we do. Um, but it's also, you know, you, you, you turn off the, the Zoom, you turn off the podcast, you're like, you know, but I know people are working really hard to try to make uh, the best of what's going on. So it's, uh, that's been kind of the theme, I think, for the last four weeks for me. Yeah. What about you, Emma, from the, from the standpoint of Jersey? Whole different I mean, perspective. I can't believe, yeah, I can't believe a month went by. It was so slow yet so fast. I'm incredibly jealous of my brother who's a pizza delivery boy and is just making bank right now. <laughs> is he really? But Yeah. <laughs> the only takeout we've gotten is from his place. But oh, that's too funny. yeah, I can't believe a month went by. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's going so fast. I can't either. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm super proud of this month, uh, just this past month. I mean, I think especially when we look at all we've put together, we're doing live, we're doing live, live shows now every week. We rebranded the website. I think it's our most prolific month in OmniTalk history. I think we got out like 10 different articles and we interviewed the CEO of Sam's Club. So I, I can't be appreciative enough of all the hard work everyone's put towards everything over this past month. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be fun to see where it takes us. And I think on that note, before we get started here, we have an exciting announcement to share with our loyal listeners because we want to, we need your help, number one. And number two, we want to give back to you in appreciation for that help. So we have, and we are excited to announce that we have a new referral program for our OmniTalk listeners. And there are some fabulous prizes to win. So, and tell them what they can win. I feel like this is starting to be like the uh, NPR donation drive. We are not trying to collect donations, although we would not turn them down if you did send them our way. But no, we have the new OmniTalk referral program. So what we're doing is giving you some pretty sweet OmniTalk swag, like a mug, uh, a t-shirt, a sweatshirt, and most importantly, uh, for the grand prize for referrals, you get an all-expenses-paid trip to New York or LA with Chris and I to do a retail stores tour, which what could be more fun? I mean, the retail stores part of it, fun for sure. The after party for the retail stores tour, way more fun. I mean, how could you not looking at Chris and his in-sync background? 100%. There's not, yeah, there, there, there's nothing better. We can, we would love, we, it, hopefully somebody can get there because we would love to do that with you. But yeah, check it out. Sign up to be a referrer. You just go to the subscribe and contact page on omnitalk.blog and you can get your unique referral code and then help us out over the weekend. Let's get started. Send it out on social media, send it to your friends. Hopefully you can win some fabulous prizes like being a guest host on this show. And as I know, Carter has his eyes on the coolest Omnitalk coffee mug around. All right, let's get started. Let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Trigo. Trigo is developing the most advanced AI and computer vision based checkout free system for the grocery industry. Using standard cameras and proprietary algorithms, Trigo converts real-sized stores, including a fric- introducing excuse me, a frictionless shopping experience. Together with Tesco, Trigo is currently piloting the world's largest checkout-free store. To learn more, visit www.trigo.tech. Now, guys, I think we've got an awesome show today. We have just some really cool topics, a lot of which are geared around the current state of the shopping mall as well as what the future of commerce could look like, given what's happening there. And then, of course, we're going to close up with what I think is a very important Amazon story in terms of how they've been hit in the news lately around what they're doing with private labels. So you're going to want to stick around for that part of the conversation. But, Anne, why don't you start us off? 
All right. Story number one. So Simon has announced that they are planning the reopenings of their malls uh, with some some minor details like traffic limits, shorter hours, and some other prep for COVID-19. So they are uh, doing a phase reopening of their mall properties, starting with malls in uh, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and South Carolina today, uh, and then more malls to follow the, the weeks uh, ahead in May. As it opens, Simon is rolling out those protocols, as I mentioned, limited hours, occupancy limits, spacing configurations to promote social distancing, screening employees for symptoms, um, and then additional training and face mask requirements for workers, among several other things. Uh, guys, I'm I'm really interested to hear what you say here, because I don't know about you, but there's been a ton of of things being thrown out um, into the the ecosystem right now. Data like from the ICSC saying that 60% of people are totally fine going back to malls. And then another statistic that combats that saying that 45% of people are fearful to go back to open. So curious what your thoughts are here on the Simon Mall reopening. Yeah, Carter, you're kind of you're kind of a mall mall fan. You love, I love, you love the I malls. love malls. Yeah. I, I love malls, and uh, you know, you guys know a lot of my past work revolves around not only the retail stores within the mall, uh, but just the mall in general. And I think you know, no matter how you look at the stats, the thing is, malls are going to have a really hard time over the next six months, year whatever you want to put that time frame on. Right. Um, and I think what was really disappointing with this announcement was just the lack of what they're actually doing. And I think just, you know, of course you're going to do more cleaning. Of course you're going to limit hours. Of course you're going to do spacing. Of course you're going to do uh, this, but like what else? I think if any industry is going to have a hard time in the next six months, it's malls. And I think they have the most opportunity to completely transform how they serve their customer in order to keep not only your tenants happy, uh, but also keeping, keeping, you know, the growth and really kind of the, you know, uh, attendees that are coming to your mall uh, engaged and alive. And I think um, I would love to have seen a whole nother section of this press release talking about all the new initiatives and all the new innovation that they're going to do. And Chris, I know you had written an article about the five things on Forbes that malls need to do before they can reopen. And, you know, they barely touched on any of it. You know, you're talking about what are you doing for curbside? Like, what are you doing in terms of, you know, uh, contactless payments and, and that kind of stuff. And it was just so disappointing to see that they're just rushing into this without any of that type of innovation, even alluding to that's what they're going to be working on. And so for me, it was a, a really disappointing check the box for Simon. And I really hope there's more to it than just this. Yeah, totally. I, I, I want to hit on that too, especially in regards to some of the things Macy's just said yesterday that they came out publicly with, but and I think going back, I think uh, to your point too, on and and Emma to you, like, are you gonna like? Do you want to sh- like? Are you are you anxious to go shop in this environment again? I mean, Emma, you've worked in malls, you worked at Levi's at the Mall of America, you've worked Warby Parker. Like, how are you feeling about this both as an employee and a customer, given what's about to come right now? I like. I don't want to go back. I feel like all of these safety measures are going to just take away from the experience that we once knew as a mall, and like it just doesn't. It just doesn't seem important to me to have to go back to a mall. And yeah, I'm not, not really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's not critical to you. I think that's the Carter's point too. That's why this 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 story depresses me. And the story of Macy's yesterday depresses me. So like Macy's, for those that maybe didn't hear, and we didn't include it in our top five, but it's important. It's, you know, they've said they're going to open up all their stores hopefully by the end of May. And doing, doing the same types of things, the same typical, you know, garden variety safety procedures you hear about, which Emma just said, you know, like, I don't know that that's super inspiring. 
But the point of that story that I think is more interesting is that Macy's and retailers in general, especially those in the malls and the mall developers, they've had a month to a month and a half to do something, to do something. And you read the story about Macy's, Macy's has 20 stores right now operating for buy online pickup at Macy's. 20 freaking stores. They have almost 700, I think it's 700 stores if my count's correct. Somebody check that for me. But, but like in a month and a half, you couldn't get your technology together to try to do that in a bigger, bolder way, given everything that's going on and how much of a break your customers are going to give you. It's just sad. So yeah. where are the leaders in this industry that are going to step up and do something? And go ahead, I can tell you want to jump in. Yeah. So, I mean, Chris, I think the thing that you have to think about is that um, if you're Simon Properties or one of the other large mall owners right now, mm-hmm. from their perspective, there's a lot of underlying things happening here that this date of May 1st and opening the malls back up give for them. One being some of the lease agreements that they hold with their tenants. And that saying that, you know, as long as the malls close, the individual tenants in that mall have some leeway as to whether or not they can pay rent, um, especially with the department stores, whether or not those are open. There are contingencies and leases that are all um, centered around what components of the mall are open, open and, and, and what that means. Yeah. And so I think that you know, if you're Simon Malls, are you motivated to put those things in practice right now? Or are you motivated to open the doors back up so you can start collecting a check again? And then I think we'll see, hopefully, I, I agree with you and Carter and Emma, like it, hopefully we'll start to see some of that um, take place when they aren't seeing the people coming through the malls that they are expecting or that they want or that their tenants more importantly need in order to keep paying that rent. Yeah, right. All right. It's a great, it's a great point. I think we're going to see more transpire. The good news, if there was a bright spot, there was a, one of the mall developers, Kimco, yesterday said they're yeah. actually taking the lead on trying to put together a way to make it so that everyone can participate in a curbside pickup program and dedicating spaces in their parking lot for that across all the retailers that operate out of their mall. So I thought that was a pleasant surprise. All right, well, let's segue here because I think you see the current state of malls. They were bad before. Honestly, it doesn't feel like it's getting better. Could actually be getting worse. May only hasten the decline based on how much everyone's rushing to open. But what's going to fill the gap? And there were a lot of interesting stories this week in terms of how that gap could be filled. And this next one is quite possibly the most interesting. So Emma. All right. Shopify is introducing Shop, which is a mobile shopping app designed to create a more intuitive digital shopping experience from product discovery to delivery. This means that customers have access to streamlined checkout across all brands on the app and all order and tracking information is stored in one place. So the tracking features show the status of each package and provide real-time updates. And then other features include customized recommendations as well as local filters that identify area businesses currently offering shipping, pickup, and return policies. Before I throw this at you guys, because I'm sure you're going to cover the whole retail bigger picture, I've spent a ton of time on this app in the last few days. And overall, I think it's really cool. One of my favorite features is that from all the shops that you follow, you get to just scroll through all the products. So you don't necessarily have to focus on one brand. And it's a much better experience than like a department store kind of setup online. And then the tracking and shipping is awesome. Like the app has gathered all of the purchases I've made through Shopify and put them all in one place. I get to, I even purchased something just as an experiment and it's sending me real time updates. And it even puts in packages that I've ordered from brands that don't use Shopify. Like it just went through my email and took all packages and put them into the tracking and shipping category 
which I think is really cool because there's nothing more annoying than trying to like go through your inbox and find a shipping confirmation email to get the tracking number. So wait, 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 hold on. So it, you gave it permission to go through your email and it could sort through where you've, what other vendors that aren't Shopify vendors that you've purchased products from. Yeah. That's brilliant. Like it used wow. Chewy and the real real, which I, neither of them to my knowledge use Shopify, yeah, right. but I've made purchases from both of them in the last month and they're on the app. And I was I like, think- well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think that's they're they're leveraging the platforms, the tracking uh, platforms and shipping platforms. So it could be tied into that database too. Somehow they're doing that. Yeah. yeah. Carter, what what you you you've been on you've been pretty uh hot and heavy on social media. It's like a it's like yeah, a new so relationship. I've gone back and thing. forth, back and forth. Where no, to, to clear to clear up the shipping thing, when you connect your Google account, the permissions that you agree to are absolutely insane. Um so when you do that, um it is I think actually skimming your inbox and looking for tracking numbers rather rather than referring to other databases and cross-checking your email. Um, So that's a detail. It's pretty incredible the reach that they're able to get. Um, There's a couple of things here. So we got to remember that this is not necessarily a new app. This is a rebrand of Arrive, which was a Shopify app that was already out, which is a brilliant marketing move because uh, you know you don't have to doubt a lot of people already have it permissions are already set etc so um, I think we have to remember that the new evolution the excitement around this is beyond some of the amazing things that Emma just uh, just uh, talked about because I, I really do believe that a tracking app is really valuable you know you're buying things from different places it's great to have one location to do that now here's where I have a hard time with this uh, if you open up the actual shop app the search functionality is horrible um, and here's why, um, you know, Emma, I totally get the point of like, you follow a bunch of stores, like you can see it all in one scroll. I'm all about that. But what they were touting is search and discovery. And what it's doing right now is the exact opposite. So if you go into search uh, and you start typing, the only thing it's indexing is the title of the store. So for me, like I just did a couple tests, uh, you know, over the week and I said, oh, I need a new flashlight, go into the cabin or whatever. I need a new flashlight. Well, I type in flashlight and the only stores that come up are stores that have flashlight in their name. So all of a sudden, if this is going to be something that stores are going to want to take advantage of, uh, you're going to have to start doing like SEO within your actual title, right? And, and, and so it really leads nothing to search. If I'm actually going to want to search through this as a, as a, you know, an actual powerful tool for a consumer, I'm going to be wanting looking for products. I want to look for running shoes. I want to look for dog collars. I want to look for whatever it might be. And right now that is deemed completely useless. Um, and so I just think that, you know, the discovery is pretty lame. The search is really off. Yeah. Tracking is great, but it was there before. I think the app has a ton of potential. I really do. I love how Shopify continues to try to figure out ways to bring the power of all their brands together to create a synergy for small businesses and small, medium and large businesses across their platform. But I just think uh, this got a lot of hype and it's really missing the value. And I think this will quickly disappear off home screens uh, if it's not able to deliver that. Yeah. Well, I, I want to, I want to jump on that point then, and I want to hear your take on this too. I think that was my issue with it too, is I actually think, and again, going back to the mall discussion, bringing it up, there is a void for now. How do I discover products? And when I went on the app, what I didn't like about it is I actually think it needs to be geared less towards search. And how do you fill the void of browse and discovery? So for me, you had to know what brands you were looking for to your point card to search and find them. But I, but if you don't know that space, it's really hard to get inspired by it. So I'd rather have some aspect of it where I can like look and see what's going on and then decide who I want to follow. And then to your point, let's refine the search characteristics there based on the behavior and patterns I'm seeing. But as a discovery platform for everything that's in the Shopify brand, which is a lot of cool shit, excuse my language, that you're not going to see, you know, when you go to a mall or just day to day, that's missing. And I hope 
I hope with all intents and purposes, that's where they go. And what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I com- I agree, you guys. I think I first saw this headline and like most things, once you dig a little bit further into it and start actually playing around with the app itself, you realize that um, the hype was much more than the actual efficiency of the application. And Carter, you had Which mentioned- Which is okay that- too. I mean, we're talking day two that this thing's been out. Sure. Let's keep that in mind, right? Sure, but I think, you know, Carter, you were mentioning this week, you know, just that it, it really isn't providing the backbone that I think it, when I first read that headline that we all- thought that it was going to um, the, the checkout, even in like some of the stories saying that you have the option for consolidated checkout. That's not how, what the experience is like for each one of them. You're still being directed to the individual retailers. If I like a shirt that I find once I have selected that retailer that I'm going to follow and I go to the checkout app, it's still taking me out to the individual retailers checkout app. So, you know, to your guys' earlier point, it's not really any different than the e-commerce experience that I'm having already with the brand. And I would argue is a, better experience in platforms like Instagram, where I already follow those brands. They're already part of my collection. And if I want to buy, it's, it's essentially the same process, but um, it'll just take Shopify some time to get that refined. I agree with that. I think what's cool about it though, is it's, it is day two. And having been in the app for even more time this morning, I can see the possibility of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I can see a psychological void that it's filling for me because I actually got kind of interested and kind of pissed off that I couldn't do that. And so there could be something here, but you're right. The devil is definitely going to be in the details. All right, Carter, another story along the lines in terms of where we think this could be going. Yeah, this is, there's some similarities between this. So um, we picked this up through Morning Brew, but Poshmark recently released a new feature they're calling Posh Stories. And it's exactly what you think it is. So resellers now can post vertical videos or images in their profile as a story. Um, and it's a story video slideshow that lasts about 48 hours. It has a ton of the same features as Instagram. Of course, you can add filters and text and all that great stuff. Um, and according to Poshmark CEO, they claim that this is uh, one of the most requested tools from users. So why is it a requested tool? Why are they releasing this? Um, in my opinion, and what you know was stated in the article, they're seeing a huge slide of people moving from a resale market on Poshmark to Instagram. And why? Because there's creative tools. They're able to instantly connect with a much larger, larger audience and ultimately sell their goods in a more personalized and effective way. And I've actually seen a lot of my friends um, uh, take to Instagram to sell goods. Actually, one of my buddy's girlfriends says she's making a lot of like really good money. And all she does is you know use her Instagram story platform. She's connected with a bunch of her friends who probably have you know like-minded styles, et cetera takes a picture of the good puts the price on it and then she just meets up with them or ships it and like granted that's a bit of a more convoluted process and i know shop uh that and poshmark makes it but they're seeing really kind of this uh this migration uh from their platform to a platform that's more creatively focused and ultimately has more reach like instagram so it'll be interesting to see uh really kind of how this uh evolves uh it, it works really well within the current landscape people are unfortunately losing their jobs looking to resell markets potentially to uh, gain a little extra cash on the side. Uh, but they claim that this has been in process for a long time and they just released it during uh, during this kind of time in the world. So, um, and, and just to kind of give some numbers, you know, Poshmark still has over 60 million users and the service is really dedicated at the 8 million sellers that are on the platform in hopes that they're able to have more of this creative forward approach and connect better with their consumers. So um, what do you guys think? And. Well, I mean, I think this wasn't any, this wasn't a surprising headline to me because we interviewed Mm -hmm. the CMO, Stephen Tristan Young, back at Etail. And 
when we talked to him, you know, part of the foundation of Poshmark that made it different than the rest of the resale apps is that they were focused on community and building that first and using that as a way to find other people that you'd be selling your products to. Um, and then the other benefits that come from kind of developing these pods or communities in physical, in a physical sense, you know, whether they're located close to you to sell and exchange items uh, or if they're digitally connected and you're shipping, you know, your resale items to them. Um, I think that this just, it, it feels like the next best evolution to Carter's point. There's going to be, I think some rub still, I mean, Poshmark takes 20% of the sale of your item to facilitate that. And while they have a fantastic platform that's streamlined, super easy to use, um, there's some benefit that justifies that 20% uh, commission charge. But, uh, but yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of people who are starting to leverage this um, and probably in addition to some Instagram selling of the same items just mm-hmm. to try to make some fast cash right now. Mm-hmm. Emma, Gen, Gen Z, a resident Gen Zer, are, are you are you pretty geeked up about this? Where are you on a scale of one to 10? I would give this like a nine, just be Whoa. and not a 10 because I think that this should have been done way earlier. So when I was in high school, not to boast about myself, but I have like 5,000 followers on Poshmark and I made like $1,200 in high school selling things. And I haven't been on in, or I haven't sold anything in a really long time, but people always ask, can you post a picture trying it on? And nobody likes to do that. So I think if I could have had stories where I could just hold up the product, put it up to the camera, say, this is what the stitching looks like. Like this Mm -hmm. is the color and different lighting. I think that that's a huge feature for sellers and just gets people to move and like push towards actually making a purchase if they're concerned. God, I love that. This is why I love doing this show. I had no idea that was going to come up today because like, what do we always talk about? What are the two differentiators of physical retail? Taction and the experience of being there. We talked about shopping malls. The experience of being there right now is going to suck. Taction. Totally. You can do taxion in different ways. You can get the confidence in the purchase you're going to want to make. And, and Emma, I had never thought about that until you just said that. That is brilliant. It shows you why there are other platforms. And kudos to Ann because Ann's been on this for a while. Carter, you have too in terms of this probably being the type of platform, right? Video-based commerce that could potentially take off and fill that void of how we normally interact with the shopping mall, but put ourselves more in a digital mentality to do that. Now, on the converse of that is story number four, which we bring up for the same reason, but to show you the dichotomy here because we think it's important. So story number four is that this week, there are now new virtual reality stores that enable retailers to open their high street shops online. Now, if you remember Storefront, it's a company we did an interview with, gosh, and probably, what was it? Probably two years ago. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's usually an online marketplace that matches brands with pop-up shop real estate. But now they can't do that. So what are they doing? Well, now they're offering virtual reality stores Well, where retailers can recreate their storefronts. They've teamed up with the virtual and augmented reality specialist Obsess to help offline retailers and fashion brands and designers reach new customers through virtual reality. This is all according to internetretailing.net. Brands are able to get short-term virtual shopping experiences to their customers via the partnership. The stores are fully branded and can be customized, featuring all the retailers' own inventory and visitors through basically online portals. They can walk around the shop, browse shelves, and buy anything that they want. And I know you've got to be chomping at the bit after I read that. What is your thoughts here in relation to everything we just talked about? 
Well, I'm wondering if anyone on this podcast can sell me on this. Like, can anyone? Before I go into my my Does diet anyone like this? That's a good question. It, Carter? No, this is... No. Um, Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I want you to continue and then I'll <laughs> unleash. Yeah. I mean, okay. Storefront is a concept. I love it. I think yep. they were one of the first ones who were doing pop-up right. Finding spaces, connecting the brands with those spaces, short-term leases, brilliant. And I understand that they have to make a pivot right now because that business is shutting down. So one important point of note in this story is that the VR and AR experiences that they're partnering with Obsess are temporary VR experiences. So they're not meant to be permanent things where retailers are sinking a whole bunch of money into a permanent VR site experience. This is meant to be temporary. I do think that there's the potential that when they are holding pop-ups or that if storefronts thinking about building their book of business and how what their offerings are going to be for future, that having the ability to say, and also we'll give you the option for people to join this pop-up shop remotely and have a virtual experience and be part of the, you know, Harajuku opening in Japan yeah. if they're in, right. fine. Or Great. just do it the way we just talked about, right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So many other mediums. But the problem that I have is in the VR shopping experience. I'll completely rule out the headsets right now. Like the fact that people are going to be spending money on headsets at all to be doing this, or that that is an area of focus that any retailer should be thinking about right now. I, I cannot agree with, I cannot get on board with now. Yes. This experience is letting you have this virtual experience on your, on your iPhone or Android phone. Fine. But is this really the place where you should be sinking your money right now as a retailer? What am I worried about right now? Paying rent working out curbside, trying to figure out other ways to fulfill shopping. Do I need to have a virtual store right now? Absolutely not. Yeah. It is a good ridiculous. Possibility. Carter go. It's just so sad that you, to Anne's point that in this scenario, in the world that we're in currently, that we're still falling for the buzzword 100%. sizzle. It, it is so sad to think that someone greenlit this Yep. And that someone fell for a buzzword full pitch that thinks that VR is the way to go. And I just like, have we stood, like, have we looked up, have we got our head out of the sand and looked around to figure what would actually move? Have we actually talked to consumers to see who the heck is going to want to do this? Have you actually put this in front of someone and realized that it's probably a fun little game for about 15 seconds and you realize how frustrating and stupid it is and then yeah. you, yes. you jump off of it? It's just, um, I mean, I think we all owe it to... We, Every single person needs to get out of the buzzword game. And I mean, this has been true for years, but especially now and look at what's actually going to create value. I think too, I a hundred percent agree with all, with you guys. And I like a couple of things that I would call and, uh, that, and I told this to retail touch points in an interview this week too. Like I want to go on a rant here too. I've seen a lot of this on social media with a lot of people, CEOs, quote unquote, influencers or pundits saying like, this is the future. First of all, if you're going to say that, make sure you know the delineations between AR, VR, and whatnot, because there's a lot of different ways to talk about that. It's a story of my life. And this is, I'm not even sure VR really fits in in this category here either for the reasons you're saying, Ann. And then the other thing, like to your point, do we all want to do this? There's better ways, more engaging ways for us to do this. We just talked about it. And how do I know? I'm going to put this on record. How do I know the VR industry is eventually going to take off? Well, it's going to take off in porn first. And my God, we're all sitting at home right now. and You don't hear anybody talking about that. So 
let's be real about how much focus this should have and let's go out and do things that matter and stop being on social media talking about stuff like this. All right. Story number 100%. four, 100%. Story number five, excuse me. Story number five, Anne, is about Amazon. Bring it home. All right. So huge article in the Wall Street Journal that's had ripple effects throughout the industry this week, uh, both positive, negative, everybody's opinions. Uh, Amazon has now been scoop, uh, has been formally uh, charged by the Wall Street Journal with scooping up data from its very own sellers to launch competing products. Uh, in a, a headline that I think I sent to you, Chris, with the uh, description, duh, um, it, it, they are going to be uh, potentially now charged through Congress um, about selling because they're going against um, some previous claims that they'd made about making and selling its own uh, their own products. So Amazon claims it doesn't use information that it collects from their third-party sellers, uh, that data's, data for those sellers is proprietary. They are also claiming that, you know, the information on how to price items, how much uh, their third-party sellers are spending on shipping and advertising, that they're not using any of that. However, in the Wall Street Journal, they have 20 people formerly and currently with Amazon who are saying that this is not true, that they are using this data to make uh, Amazon essentials or Amazon-owned brand products. I'm curious. What do you guys think of what do you guys think of this? Like, does does this where does this register on the Richter the OmniTalk Richter scale for you? Do you guys care about this? Does this make you want to shop at Amazon more or less, Emma? I actually don't really like shopping on Amazon. I rarely ever buy anything from Amazon. But when I read it, I kind of had the same. And Anne had texted both of us and was like, "Duh!" And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, they weren't already doing that." Like, they may. I just kind of assume that if you have money and you're a big business you can do anything so yeah it doesn't necessarily sway me from shopping at amazon more or less though what about you carter um this story alone to to emma's point is duh like i it's not really a surprise i I knew they were doing this and i think that this story alone is not going to limit the use of amazon it will not make me second guess but i think what's important and over the next year is we look at all of the stones that are being put into the Amazon negative bucket, right? And you don't notice every stone going in, but soon enough, that bucket's pretty heavy. And I think that, you know, the threat, and Amazon's a long ways away from this. They've they've performed incredibly well over the last few months by standing up through the pandemic. Minus, of course, there's all of the controversy around that too, but stuff still is arriving to doors. Like they've stand up really well, but I think Amazon has a threat of becoming the big bad business giant that people are trying to avoid because it's not cool and it's not good to buy from Amazon. It all of a sudden becomes socially and culturally negative uh, to purchase from that if they continue to put more rocks in this bucket. Now, they're getting away with more things than ever because they deliver an incredible user experience. And ultimately, that usually, you know, precedes anything else. But I think there is a point where that bucket's too heavy and you're starting to see people choose to go uh, find a store on Shopify to support a business rather than going with a big giant. Um, but it's not a story here this week, but I think it's something we might want to consider tallying up over the next year as we start to see this uh, come to life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, what you said is interesting. I think for me, I think the reason this is a story this week is I actually think it's, I think it's time to defend Amazon on this one. I think this is not a fair shot across the Amazon bow against the possibility of what you're talking about. I think the part of the story here that people don't know is just how politicized this is. And and the fact that every retailer is doing this. Like if you think Walmart, Target, Kroger, whomever isn't sitting there and looking at how 
various products perform on their shelf, similar to how products perform on Amazon's website, and then seeing what does well and trying to manufacture those as private label, you are as naive as Christmas. And if you think about the scale at which they're doing that, it's bigger than Amazon. Still, 90% of retail happens in physical stores. So you can talk about how Amazon has all the data in the world to do this. The physical retailers from a volume perspective probably have even more data and are probably more probabilistically certain that what they're trying to do from a private label perspective is more correct. So I this, this one is hard for me, and this is one where I kind of want to come to the defense of Amazon and for everyone working there, because I, I just don't feel like this one lands in the way that it should. And what do you think? Close yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, I asked you this very question because I that was part of the whole thing for me is that I don't understand what the what the delineations are, like what the if they're gonna make this regulation uh for Amazon, how does that have a trickle down effect for the Kroger's, the Targets, the Walmarts of the world? And even in the Wall Street Journal article, you know, they say that it's it is Amazon's giant machine of data. It's not just what happens on, at shelf, but it, it's also, you know, how much people are spending on advertising, their control over how products are showing up and where Amazon products are showing up. But I mean, I feel like you have that same physical issue that in the too. physical retail, right? right? I mean, you you have uh, even for couponing and offers. Who's on an end cap? What offers right. are you doing? Yeah, right. So I think it's just um, agree that you know Amazon's getting a lot of heat for this. I I also question whether or not this changes truly any of the buying patterns of anyone after reading this story, whether that's whether or not they buy the you know own brand product from Walmart or the own brand product from Amazon. Um, the convenience thing is, and the price point, especially coming out of this pandemic, I think is still going to have things continue the way that they're continuing. You're right. It's the same complaint you used to hear about Walmart in the 90s. In fact, we were at a conference where I was giving a speech on Store of the Future, and, and one of the guys that sold, one of the CPG guys that was in sales started just railing about, you know, how they they sell things to Walmart or Kroger and they just start making private label out of it. Like he couldn't get off the subject and we weren't even talking about that subject. So like- <laughs> It's top of mind for so All many All the people. peanut butter is made in the same place. It's just got a different label. Yeah, it was hilarious. Yeah. I'm like, dude, what do you want me to do? I'm not talking about that. But anyway, like, it's just, yeah, this is this is not a new thing. It's been going on since the dawn of time. But all right, well, thanks so much for sticking with us. Again, thanks for being live with us. Of course, we'll take your questions at the end of the show. A couple of housekeeping notes. Some really fun articles and fun things we did this week. Again, we have an interview with uh, Sam's Club CEO, Kath McClay, as well as our chief product officer, Eddie Garcia. We'll be getting those to you soon. Uh, a couple of awesome posts on Forbes too around just how quickly Sam's Club brings new products to market, like their new concierge pickup, or, I'm sorry, concierge, concierge said another way, service for seniors, as well as I just wrote a piece this morning on some late breaking news that Walmart is now... Uh, implementing an express delivery program where people can pay an extra $10 to get their goods delivered to them in under two hours. It's something I am vehemently against, and you will see that in the piece. And I really do hope you read it because I think it's an important one to verse yourselves on in terms of what's happening out there in the industry right now, especially under COVID. Last but not least, we have an awesome interview next week. We have the co-CEO of American Dream Mall, stopping by to do a live webinar with us on Tuesday. Mark Grimazian has donated his time to us. We are excited. Wednesday, we, Wednesday excuse me. Wednesday, the Wednesday at what time, man? 
Wednesday the 6th at 1 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Eastern. Awesome. We've known Mark for a really long time, so it's going to be really uh, interesting, I think, to talk to him. There's been a lot of noise about, uh, you know, what's going on with that mall, especially with everything going on. It'll be good for him just to set the record straight. And so we're really proud to get that opportunity. As always, please remember to like, review, subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. Wherever you happen to listen to your podcast, every difference makes a difference. And, of course, one final reminder... Please remember to go out there, sign up to be an Omnitographer, win your free prizes, your mugs, your t-shirts, and maybe your trip to New York or LA with Anne and me. We'd love to do it. As always, for Anne, Emma, and Carter, be careful out there.